Hello and welcome to A Cast of Entrepreneurs, brought to you by the Entrepreneurs Forum. I'm Elaine Stroud, Chief Executive of the Entrepreneurs Forum, and together with Sally Cowling, our Head of Marketing, we've been talking to entrepreneurs from all over the Northeast about what it's really like to be an entrepreneur. We're getting the real insight into their lives and businesses. Welcome to a cast of entrepreneurs. I'm delighted to have with me a fantastic cast today, which I'll introduce in a second. And alongside me, I have Sally Cowling. Good morning, Sally. Morning. Hi, everyone. So with us today, we have Pete Lilly from Double A Side Consulting. Hi, Pete. Hi, how are you? Very well, thank you. And Karen Weir from Weir Insurance. Morning. Morning, Elaine. And finally, last but not least, uh, Emma Gordon from EMG Solicitors. Good morning. Good morning. And well, we're going to get straight into the questions, if that's okay. And we're going to kick off by going right back to the early stages. And I'll start with you, Emma, and say, what motivated you to start EMG Solicitors? So we set the business up about uh, 10 years ago, and I was working at a different practice based in the Northeast, based in Durham. And um, I just felt like I wanted to do things differently to how they were being done in my existing firm. And that and that wasn't because um, they were kind of doing anything wrong, but it was just because I wanted to paddle my own canoe a little bit by then and 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 drive things forward exactly as I wanted to. Um, I was um, seven months pregnant with baby number two and baby number one was uh, just over a year old. So probably quite a foolish time to have my notice in, but nevertheless I did. And I had a six month notice period. So um, by the time the firm was set up, I had two children under the age of two. So it was quite a busy time, but nevertheless, it just, it also felt like the right time for me. Um, I had some great support. A colleague um, who was with me at my other practice came along with me and we set the firm up together. So, you know, she was kind of fantastic support for me. And there was a, you know, there was a couple of other people who we brought on board and and kind of away we went as a little team four. It sounds like you were quite clear in your mind that it was the right time. And I'm listening to that thinking, oh my goodness, being pregnant and with a small child is probably the most challenging time to do that. Was there a point where you thought, um, am I making the right decision? No, there wasn't actually. It, it, it never felt like it might not be the right thing to do. I did survive on not very much sleep at that point in time. And perhaps foolishly, my husband also set his own business up at the same time as well. So there, w- there was a lot going on, but it just, yeah, it, you know, it just felt like the right time for me. So there was definitely some sacrifices that were made and sleep was the biggest of those. But I, you know, I don't regret it. I, I don't look back and think I should have done it at a different point in life at all. And is that the first time you've set up your own business, Emma? Yes. Yeah. Hopefully the first and last. I don't plan to do this again either. So you'd spent quite a lot of your career working for other people and then decided. I think that was the thing. I felt like I'd built up skills and I'd worked for a range of firms. I felt like I'd built up skills at every firm that I'd worked at. And therefore I kind of, you know, I'd I'd draw on technical skills and people skills and management skills. And I, you know, developed a bit of an understanding about running a practice of a law firm. And so I just, you know, I felt like I wanted to, to pull that together then and and shape things in the way that I wanted to shape them. And I probably didn't realise at the time how important that was to me. But as time has gone on, you know, I've realised that really developing the character of your practice is a really important thing to do. And was that a key driver for you when you when you set up? You mentioned that you kind of wanted to do things differently. Have you achieved that? Have you managed to do things differently? I feel like we have. We have a really high staff retention rate we've grown incredibly. So we've been going for nearly 10 years. We've moved from employing four people to employ 
just over 130 now and we've probably got another kind of 20-ish planned for the coming six months or so. So we've managed to do something right in terms of you know the way that we've grown in order to keep all of those people busy and also that we don't lose huge amounts of staff and that that makes me happy and obviously if you've got that number of people and you're growing at that rate then also you've got to have work to fill them up with so we we've been growing our client base in the same way so hopefully that means that the clients are happy as well so i you know i do, i do feel like we've managed to distinguish ourselves in the marketplace and i think what's probably the biggest indicator for me of that is that um although we do have strong links with recruitment consultants a lot of our recruiting now is done by people just approaching us directly and saying, I've heard great things about you. I'd really like to come and work with you. And that to me is a you know kind of a big feather in our cap really that we're able to do that. We've worked over the last couple of years on having a really strong values-based structure in terms of how we treat each other. And we've got five key values and we've worked really, really hard in rolling those out in into the team. And, you know, we develop them alongside the team and, and also the team helped develop the kind of the underlying ethos of what that meant for us, because you can use a word, but a word means different things to different people. So we've worked hard to put some structure behind that to get everybody really understanding who we are. The next phase is definitely now that we've got it ingrained within the team to roll that out to our clients so that our clients really understand who we are and what's important to us. But I, I think those kind of things are definitely what helps set us apart a little bit or helps people understand exactly who we are and helps us know exactly who we are as well. It sounds like you've made amazing progress in just 10 years. It's been a bit mind-blowing um, and it's it remains really hard work. Um, but, um, but, you know, I thoroughly enjoy everything that we do. And, and Karen, you took over the business from, I believe, your husband's parents. And so you're second generation into a family business. Yes. Before you bought the business, did you feel like you wanted to own your own business? What was... The sort of decision process in getting involved with the family business. So a bit like Emma, and your story resonates so much with me. And it, and sorry to deviate slightly, but I need to say this because when you talk about a value-based company and treating your co- colleagues well, I bought in by something that you said at the very beginning. And it's all down for me to the preposition that you used, which was people want to come and work with us, not for us. So many companies get that one word wrong. So whenever anybody... In my organization, it says, oh, I work for you, I so you work with us. And I think that is quite a distinct tell from your culture. But yes, to go back to your original question, um, lots of things resonate. I'd worked for um, in insurance for 20 years and came back to the Northeast and really had come to the end of my what I felt I could give to a large corporate without staying down somewhere in the South and I wanted to return back home. So the opportunity came about that my partner's parents were looking to get out of the industry. We were about to go into a period of um, regulation for general insurance. So we decided that we would take that business forward. And very that was in 2000. Um, by 2003, 2002, we'd just done investors and people. And by 2003, I was at the helm of the business with three children under five. So again, there's that resonance. Uh, we set up another business, which was a finance company to allow the main business to move away from the finance houses so we could lend our own customers insurance, money to pay their insurance. So we were running two companies with three kids under five, three dogs, and it was the most fun and has been ever since, I think. Did you get any sleep in those first few years? Not, not enough, but we did. I mean, talk about innovation. In 2000, my first child was born and um, Annabelle, I love you dearly, but she wasn't planned. 
So that very first child came along and my husband and I shared maternity leave. So I'd go in one day, he'd stay until the next day and we shared, we could do that. We worked in the same business. And when I was um, in labor, I remember sitting doing the payroll with a TENS machine on my back. <laughs> the payroll had to be run and it was the 28th of July. So everyone needed their money for the holidays. So it was just a case of get on with it and sleep came somewhere down the priority list. I can remember saying to myself, if I, ju- if I just get four hours sleep, that'll be enough. That's what Margaret Thatcher lasted on. And then you think, what? And, that, and now it's a little bit more. So I'm going to have as a mental limit, but you did kind of go to yourself, yeah, I can just do this. Everything will be all right. Yeah. Yeah, I guess you were driven by wanting to get the business up and running and established and the responsibility that you had for your staff yeah. at the time. So we, the, the business has 4,000 customers across the Northeast and we've helped... Um, we've helped them to claim millions of pounds of money in insurance claims from insurance companies and, and giving them advice. And I think that's where the drive comes from because there were so many people not insured properly and were not getting the right advice and were having to fight when they had a claim and then just walking away because they gave up. And I think that was the driver for us was to just make sure that um, the entrepreneurs of the region were protected if the worst happens. Fantastic. And, and Pete... In your early days, going back to your youth, did you have a sort of entrepreneurial itch within you? It's an interesting question. If I did, I didn't know it was called that. I was in sport. I was in the things that kind of kept my brain going. I think it's probably, no, that wasn't necessarily a good thing because it it off to things and lots of other things and that was all all part growing up. But I think for me, the interesting thing was always the what's next. And, you know, in, in terms of that kind of growing up in that process, realizing that that was a, if you like, an entrepreneurial spirit took a little bit of time. So knowing what, what it was that was making me go, I'm bored of this. I want to do something else now, or I could be here, but I can't see myself being here for this period. Actually recognizing what that was at an early age is probably something I didn't do. Um, what I, what it went down, it was boredom. If I'm perfectly honest, you know, I sat down and was like, well, okay, so what's next? And I go into one website now. No, 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 I got, no, this is not. So it was kind of a learning curve. But what I eventually realized it was, you know, was, okay, well, turn it into something positive, turn it into something of focus, which would enable you to kind of, the energy, turn it into something better, a positive energy. Um, and I think it's really interesting that, um, you know, that, that, that kind of reflective mode of, of, of saying, okay, well, this is what that is. And that's what it looked like, being able to turn it into something real. Uh, and if you're like entrepreneurial, I mean, I would, if somebody told me, asked me at 17, 18 age, absolutely no idea, you know, I, I didn't mean, I wouldn't know what it meant. Um, but I think over the period of, you know, when you start off, well, we're talking about, you know, doing insurance, doing lots of different jobs, sort of post college and post uni, you then realize actually maybe what it is is channeling that energy into something that will keep you interested consistently. And I think, recognizing that and then channeling is something along that kind of, okay, well, how do you, how do you make that something positive was, was probably the key rather than I would say recognize it's an entrepreneurial spirit. It was taking the energy that we had and saying, okay, how do you turn that energy, which is based around getting to be blunt, but very quickly things you were doing into something quite positive. And you've had a, a number of different businesses and roles over the years. Yeah, I, I know you're doing you're doing consulting now, but prior to that, you've done all sorts of things from sportswear and using your passions to develop businesses. It's about understanding where the difference is, and 
being first to do things a little bit and changing changing the game a little bit. I think if I if, if I go right back to I used to work with a company called NEP about 30 years ago and I remember selling the first Highcom digital telephone system in in the north. And to me that gave me a massive buzz. I was like, brilliant, okay, well what's next? So what it wasn't all about the, the kind of it was about that growth piece and that that piece about okay, well, what, you, you can only be first once, if you know what I mean. And, and, and to me, one of the values of a company is understanding where you sit and how you are first in your marketplace to do what you do and, and establishing that differentiator. Um, and, you know, it's not, it's not an uber-competitive thing. It's, a, it's an interest thing. It's how do you keep those things driven um, and, and, and understanding that base why so that when anybody comes and joins you, they understand that as well, and they're in for the journey. And that, to me, has been a massive kind of, uh, you know, it's a point that you absolutely made, right, which is, you know, people have to understand the why you do what you do. And if you don't understand that, then there's, there's always a question mark about, okay, well, how are you driving the distance forward? Um, and to me, part and parcel of this is, and those those businesses was, once that becomes a bit fuzzy, you either read, move, and realign, or, you know, you, you do something else to be blunt. Um, so yeah, and then thinking about then that having that really clear purpose of your organisation and really strong values—that's something that you've just talked about, Emma. Has that purpose or values have they evolved over the ten years of the business, or were you quite clear from the outset what it was that you were trying to achieve, so you could disseminate that information amongst your now 130 and growing workforce? I don't think. No, we not. I don't think we definitely didn't set anything down from the outset. Um, so, but we probably haven't fundamentally changed who we are. So we, you know, we did things when we set up, we um, started a fundraising ball every year um, in aid of um, Headway, which is a brain injury charity, and they have a weekend away for their um, brain injured clients and that needed some financial support. So probably in our second year of business, we set a ball up that would help to aim to provide some support for that weekend away. So I think things like our ethos around hopefully you know finding our community important and giving back to our community have been there but we didn't set down originally that that was a that there was a word around that so the the words the five words that we have as our values which is uh, if i test myself um courage cooperation integrity excellence and kindness um those those words didn't come into being until probably kind of two three years ago and and that was because our head of people and culture Ian Burke did a really lovely piece where he sat down with every single person in the business and, uh, you know, in groups and we talked about what our values were and they were born out of that. So uh, although the, the kind of the words weren't known, the exact words until that time period, two or three years ago, they were, because they came out of who we are, they it's always been somewhere within the business. It was just kind of hiding or a bit less obvious or, or a bit less well set down. But we have found definitely that by setting them down, and as I say, setting down you know some underlying couple of sentences under each one to distinguish what they mean to us, it just frames everything that we do as a business and and makes a huge difference. So that when you are dealing with somebody, you know, when when you're taking a colleague through a difficult time or whatever, you know, because there's always you know ups and downs in terms of people's employment and times when they're struggling and times when they're doing really well. You know, if you act with kindness when you are taking somebody through a difficult time for example 
then that just shapes everything about how you deal with that person. And and we find that helps us tremendously now to, to have it down and just um, and makes it more ingrained in the culture. It's that anchor point, isn't it? Yes. I, mean, I think the end yeah. day, if you've got a central anchor point to come back to, as you say, if you're in down those five words or, or however you, you, you sort of send to the company, if you like, when the difficult times come, it's always good to come back to because that affects your direction of travel. Um, and I think it's hugely important. And the fact that you've done it, I think it's absolute testament because, you know, it's as you say, it's, it's the point of when things are difficult. What's your reference points? Where do you go mm-hmm. back to? And what's your, what's your core? Yes. Um, and you can't do that by copying other people that only come yeah. from within the company. Yeah. Um, it's really interesting. I think, I think as well, you know, I didn't ask Ian to do that. That wasn't a goal that I set for him. It's something that he came to me and said, I think we need to do this, which kind of, again, takes me to, it It must have been a key part of who we were because he, Ian kind of came in and recognised that. Um, so, you know, that's it, it, it brings it all back all the time to it to it being a really central focus for us. Yeah. Karen, within we do you have documented, as, as Emma has, what your culture is or is oh, it so and I'm really how have you done that within your business? So I make sure that no one forgets them because I made it into an acronym of our of our name. So it's WEIR W E I R. So we're world class, which is our net promoter score, which is about doing the right thing right first time. Then the E is empowered. So as part of our onboarding pro- process, everybody has to choose their superpower. So everybody within the organization has something that they are better than everybody else at. If you like, it's their superhero alter ego. And we create a little avatar for them for the business. I have seen your avatars on some social media. They're very cool if anyone wants to look up We're Insurance. Absolutely. Karen dressed in a... So you're like a Wonder Woman or yeah, something so like that. Where it all started, we did, we one Christmas, we all sat down in a big, big room and we sat down with a piece of paper with everyone's name on. So if we were sat in this room, we'd write Elaine's name on a piece of paper. We passed it round the room and everyone had to write something really positive about Elaine. I think they did this in kindergarten. And when that piece of paper got back to you, Elaine, you'd read a huge page full of nice comments about yourself that had come around the table and everyone got one. And so we started to look at these comments and went, well, wait a minute. And someone just said, Karen, she's a wonder woman, don't know where she gets the energy. And I said, right, that's my strap line. So that that became my avatar. And we had everything from, um, we've just got some new people on board and the lady came in um, at the interview and said, if I get the job, can I be Kung Fu Panda, please? Uh-huh. <laughs> and I said, why would you want to do that? She said, because I'm calm and I get the, uh, the job done eventually, but I am a bit of an unlikely hero. And I just loved it. <laughs> Absolutely, you can. So everyone gets to sort of bring their special power to the utility belt. Um, during COVID, it was absolutely invaluable because I think that's when we really did have to be kind to each other. So it's about the empowered bit for us on the E is knowing what job you do um, and then getting it done and helping other people. The I is the individualism, so everybody's got something that they can bring. And then the R was for resilience. We've always been a bit of a teaching hospital. My background was training. So when I came into the organisation, I was we don't spend time and resources and, and energy as on innovation and uh, research and development as much as I would like to. How do you do that in insurance brokers? But we always try to teach and learn. In fact, it's one of our um, KPIs. We have to teach or learn three hours a month, everybody, even new people. 
as teach as well as learn. So that and is that sort of tech, I'm interested in that. Is that technical insurance related or is it personal development? Could be either. Um, and depending upon the skill set of that individual, that would be weighted more to technical training if they needed it. But my staff retention is high, rather turnover is low. And the longest serving member of staff has been here 42 years. So if, I, if I'm now going to give her a technical training, it's going to be regulatory updates and nothing else, which is a tiny bit dull. So we'll bring in anything else that um, either involves teaching or if she wants to learn about something, as long as we can. I, I draw the line at knitting, but anything where we feel like it might bring even a small amount of value to the business. Well, I can't work. I've tried to find the tenuous link between protecting our customers and knitting, but I'm not there yet, so... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the best superhero we have, I think, in terms of the uh, reflecting the character is is Kim. She deals with our 24-hour emergency and, and claims. And if anybody's ever had an insurance claim and had to deal with an insurance company, you know that the default position is often a fight. So Kim gets on her ninja outfit and just starts. And, and most people... Our tactic now is insurance company go, it's Kim from We Insurance, just pay it. So Emma, you chose to set up your business with with a business partner, mm-hmm. co-founder. How how have you found that journey? Is that someone that you turn to a lot for support? Oh, yes, definitely. So Gemma and I have known each other since um, she came into the practice where I was working previously because she was covering my first maternity leave. And so so I met her in 2011 and we were a little bit nervous as to whether there would be enough work for us to keep her on after, you know, the end of my maternity leave. But there was, you know, the work had grown in my absence and this, that and the other. So we kept her on. And then when I came back from my first maternity leave, you know, I think we kind of felt that there was got on very well and maybe there was something that, you know, kind of if the time was right, we would want to, to do something and, and go together. But I don't think without her kind of beside me, um, I would have felt able to to set the business up. You know, it was definitely a, a joint endeavor doing that and having each other's back. And we constantly talk and we do have really complementary strengths. I think, you know, Gemma's a real detailed person and she kind of sits back and analyzes stuff. And I'm a bit more gut instinct, um, which makes her roll her eyes and kind of, you know, have to hold me in check sometimes and so on. So we, uh, we definitely, um, you know, kind of play to each other's strengths. Um, I'm really aware that she's given me a huge amount of trust to, to drive forwards, which is, you know, kind of what she's allowed me to do in the business to keep on pushing it forwards. And a few years ago, um, you know, she kind of, she took over running the team that we both worked in, which is the quarter protection team where we uh, look after the financial affairs of people with a brain injury. And Gemma runs that team, which is, you know, by far the biggest team in the business. And that, that now, you know, kind of is a, you know, it's the size of a business just kind of in its own right. And so, I know that that's in completely safe hands and Gemma's driving forward that team in ways that I wouldn't have been able to do that. So there's there's lots and lots of trust between us. And sometimes, you know, I'll just go, oh, you know, what do you think about this? And and she just has a different perspective. And um, and we've, we've both had to have each other back and forth. She's got to calm each other down, don't you? And yes. just knowing that someone will support you and be it with whatever and offer to take something on board, you know, really lessons loads, probably like Karen's got with her husband in her business. No, we, how's that been, Karen? Work- we work at the opposite end of the building, so there's a bit of distance between us. But I think what it does mean is that when we go home, we don't have to have that deal load about business. We try to keep it. If we need to, we can. We don't have to say, oh, we must schedule that for tomorrow. We can talk about it. But it means that you don't have to come and unload and that evenings are completely work-free, unless they're not. But that's usually a conscious decision, if you like. So... Although people do say, gosh, do you not see too much of each other? I said, well, no, because it means 
I can do my own thing in the evening and weekends without feeling like I'm neglecting him because I spent the week with him, which is great. Perfect setup. All right, on the other side of the building. <laughs> and what, what about for you, Pete? Are you running your business on your own? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm saying that, and that's just complete. Well, this is actually I'm running with the family. You know, I, I, I my, my kids, my wife, they are all an integral part of it. So, so not really. Um, you know, I, yeah, truthfully, it's every conversation that that you know when you talk about. You know, if if we didn't have a and this pains me to say this, so if we didn't have a cockapoo, we should have been a golden Labrador, but it became a cockapoo because I lose every argument in our house. And then we go for walks and we discuss it, my wife and I. And you know, I, when when we started Presco, when I started this, it's always been a conversation. And you know, we're a good team myself. We, we, we work it out really. So yeah, and, and the kids keep me sane because they keep me kind of. There's always some. There's always the what next, isn't there? You, you know, it's like however much stuff is going on here. There's always a trip to athletics to go to, or there's always a, you know, a, a salary. Like you, you know, you've always got something on the plate. And in one respect, that's a very, very good thing because the work doesn't become all encompassing. And to me, it, it's kind of, it's integral to this part of the business, which is have a decompress, have a bit of reflection, have a dog walk, have a thing that actually it's not that important, you know, whatever it is. I mean, and people say business is a single loss, but. It is. It's incredibly important. But if you're confident enough in the business you're running, actually, it should give you the breathing space to do other things as well and have that that element of this is what life's about, you know. So I don't know. The, the truth is, is that yes, there's me on the on the this, but it's you know, there's a family behind me that that the, the business wouldn't be where it is without. And they're providing you with that kind of work-life balance. All the time. And, and a lot of the time, to be honest, it's not about choice. <laughs> I, you know, there's times when I'm kind of, I, I, I'm doing this and I get, Dad. And I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. And then it's almost, it's a, it's a brilliant self-regulation, you know, because it's where the importance is. And one of the reasons when, you know, WSI was set up was about an understanding of importance of the actuality of, Life is, is, is a whole thing. It's not just a single stream. And that means you've got to balance it properly. And if you don't, then, then there's something not quite right. And it's whatever you're happy with. You know, I, I'm, I'm absolutely not commenting that people work 80% of the time and 20%. That's, it's whatever works for those individuals. So that's not me. Uh, that's, but, but personally, you know, it's, it's as you've just seen being able to almost trick a switch and say, no, this is home and this is what happens at home. And that's kind of happened by default, really, because we are, we are very busy and. One respect that allows for a bit of reflection when you're out with the dog, but on the other respect, there's no chance to be, you know, the worries me thing. It's like, oh, just crack on and, and get it done, you know? Well, in particular, your kids don't really care, do they? No, exactly. I think that. You know, you're like, well, you know, I've got this really difficult thing to wrestle with, and, you know, maybe my business will stay afloat or maybe it won't. And they're like, yeah, but I've got to get to swimming. Yeah. You know, it's 100% it. So you've, you've just got to get on with whatever it is that they want. Well, and, and it's also seen a little bit of, so, so during lockdown, my youngest said to me, Dad can have a hundred quid, and I was like, "What?" And thank you for something. I said, "I'm, I'm going to start a business up, Dad, and can you give me a hundred pounds?" And I was like, "Well, okay, what's that about?" And she decided to do this thing called cinema snacks. So everybody was in lockdown. So she had me running the car, dropping off these little packs of popcorn and slushies and churros that we made in the kitchen. If health and safety, listen, it was all very clean kitchen. Um, 
But then we'd go around to the to her friends, who she's all got a social following, and go and drop them off. So we, we so she had this thing. It's impressive. And I was kind of like, that's so cool, you know. And and so for me, it was about that. Whatever I was going on, that was the single most important thing. I mean, the good thing, I, to be fair, I'd love to say, yes, said this, and I said, right, well, I want the return on that, and it's got to look like this. And, and to be fair, she did, and she earned you know, a little bit of money on it for, for herself. But, you know, at 14, when you start to think like that, I was thinking, you know, it's great. And part of that's because at school she started to do business and she started to understand a bit more of that. But the other thing is is she sees what goes on, she sees what's going on in the house and, and sponges it. You know, so it, it's kind of a reflection. This is what I'm saying about the family and the team. It's kind of like, right, okay, well, if that's the path that she wants to go down, great. And and it's just, that's the most important focus then. You know, it's not what I'm doing, it's what's happening there. And I think you're absolutely right. It's interesting because we've ha- run quite a lot of this podcast now and we've been asking people about whether they grew up with role models around them that ran their own business. And a number of entrepreneurs that we've spoken to have come from families where maybe the dad ran his own business or the mum ran his own her own business or family friends did. So they'd seen that as a career option and maybe not recognised it at the time, but there had been around entrepreneurs in the past. Well, I think it's definitely a different mindset, isn't it? Not that I did actually, both of my parents were employed, but you know, it's a big risk going out on your own. So if you're brought up in an environment where kind of that risk isn't taken, then it can feel like a bigger jump to take it, can't it really? Because I think that having role models around you or just being able to see other people quite close to you, and we're not talking looking at Richard Branson, but other people within the Northeast or within your circles that you operate in that are doing well by being entrepreneurs can be quite inspiring. Are there people that you see in the Northeast that you look up to and say, actually, that's quite good. I could emulate that. I think if I may, I could flip it the other way and, and, and look at sort of my kids and the younger people and how we, we set the example for them. Because I find an extremely, my children are 17, 20 and 23 now. And so they're not really children anymore. And in the, it's so interesting to think that the jobs that they will eventually do possibly don't even exist yet. Mm-hmm. So how do we, how do we ask? When I can't answer the question, how do I ask my 17-year-old what he wants to be when he grows up when I'm not even sure if I can answer that question myself? And a lady once said to me a really interesting thing. She said, when I have that with my son, I just put the word first on the end. And I think it just changes the whole mindset about entrepreneurialism and setting up businesses and jobs for future generations. So I did say to my son, what do you want to do, stroke B, first? And he just answered it straight away. So just putting that word on the end meant that he could focus on that. And I do think that that's the thing we should encourage. Um, The next generation do change jobs so easily, much more than I ever did. And we talk about staff retention. I think a better indicator of it being a great place to work is almost a staff come back again, whatever that word is. But where you've got staff who've maybe trained with you, gone out into the big world and come back. Staff Boomerang. Is that what you saying? And I, oh, it's his oh, Well, yeah, you heard it here first. And and I think that is something that we we need to address, that we will lose staff. We will have a turnover of staff, but actually a really good indicator is if those staff come back again, because now our next generation of leaders will not be the same thing for a long time. They'll, they'll change and and we need to 
be role models to encourage that, not say, oh, you need to to stay at the same thing, you need to stick in, you need to stay with the same employer approved you with and stay there. It, it's such a short life that I think it's a little bit sad if we do that. Um, and interestingly, my children, when I am talking about what they want to do, there's words like business. There's not so much around the employee angle of where they want to be. It's what they want to make, do, straw, set up. What do you think is the sort of obligation or responsibility for entrepreneurs to go into schools, to talk to the next generation about what it's like to be a business owner? Is that something that you've done or been asked to do in the past? Uh, yeah, I do think there is an obligation on us to do that. I've done it with our industry. So I've done it for the Chartered Insurance Institute as well as for a recruitment drive. So I've done it from the professional angle as well as from a personal um, motivated angle to look for new starters. But I'm not convinced that the schools necessarily have it right. They have a map in their head drawn out in the hall and somewhere between lawyers and the forces, you'll find some of the stuff they don't really understand. And I don't think they should do it by profession. I think it should be done by skill set. Yeah. So I think there should be people who come and talk about, I don't know, hospitality, negotiation, anything where there is a skill or behaviour that is common across a lot of different professions so that it opens it up. Because the old-fashioned, there's the hall, it's mapped out, and we start with the Air Force and we end up with zoology. It just doesn't work like that. Um, I stood on my own for a long time in the school hall because nobody came and said, I really want to be an insurance broker, which I was a bit upset about, but everybody wanted to be a forensic scientist over in the corner. And that's just because they'd seen that that was what they kind of had been watching CSI on TV. So I, I'm not convinced that you can ask 14, 15, 16, 17 year olds to choose a profession and then go to that talk, stroke, stand, whoever's got the best suites. I really think it should be more about perhaps employers coming up and saying, I can demonstrate these skills. What would you like us to talk about at your careers fair? I completely agree with that. I think that's, it, it's interesting because when we were um, Fresco, so prior to, to WA's side, we had a, um, a sportswear company that was concentrating on sustainability. Yeah. And we, we did a lot of, going back to the first, you know, we did a lot of firsts and, and, and some world firsts as well within that. And I went to do a, a, a presentation in the kids school which my kids hated to feel isn't it oh <laughs> dad i found that exactly what you're saying is that you know you we went in to talk about sustainability or i went in specifically to talk about sustainability and how it's important to kind of look at things in a slightly different way and they were so engaged when we were talking about skill set rather than what it was and I think that's incredibly, because who knew? I mean, I, I certainly didn't know when I was leaving school when what I would want to be. I mean, I remember distinctly, you know, my, my dad was a, a civil engineer, worked for British Steel, did for 40 years. Um, and when I was thinking about careers, I wanted to be a footballer. You know, I was never going to be a footballer because I wasn't good enough, but I wanted to be a footballer. Now, going home and saying I'd quite like to do that, I remember waking up the next day and there was a copy of The Observer with joining the police force. So I look at it, engineer, it's like, right, so you need to make a choice between that. They're all jobs. See, I didn't do But I think that kind of channeling of people from ours about what a profession looks like is completely skewed to matching skill set to what the out of the possible could be. So what could you do, not what should you do? And I think you're absolutely right. I think, you know, skill set, understanding where your strengths will, will lie within that will actually find your own place. You know, you'll find a profession that works for you once you understand where you are 
as a person and where your skill set lies, you know. So I think it does work for some of the the main professions that haven't really changed over the years. But going into business is such a broad realm that that could be an entire stand on its own in the careers, school, fair, whatever, that, that that's a much more innovative way to do it. And the schools and teachers need to get on board with that first. And then I think that would engage business people more. I think often it's discouraged as well, isn't it? You know, so you get people who are going into school and selling sweets, making a profit and school don't like that. But actually that's the start of their entrepreneurial journey, which is being squashed a little bit. Absolutely. I think, yeah, I mean, I've got to, I've got to say on that, you know, it's, uh, Michael School is pretty good in terms of when, and it's really interesting because it keeps you on your toes as well, because my, again, my youngest is, is doing a business GCSE at the moment. So she's coming back with the testers. You know, what does this look like if you, and it was, I think I put it on, on posting, right? Okay. What are the key factors of an entrepreneur? You know, and they, they actually asked that and you go, okay. Uh, I, I think it's, I think it's this and I think it's that. Um, and, but, but check. You know, changing the game slightly and asking those questions, I think, is really important. Um, and they're starting to do that, I think. Um, but I think you're absolutely right in in the in in the standard roles that you know go be a whatever you want to be. Then then perhaps not so much. Um, but I think there is a, a gradual shift in mindset, hopefully. So, how would you all answer that question about what are the key factors of being an entrepreneur? What what characteristics do you think you need? I'm going to ask Karen. I'm not convinced that I would necessarily call myself an entrepreneur. By the, To me, what does entrepreneur mean? Taking risks and I suppose an entrepreneurial insurance broker is a bit of a contradiction in terms. I think I have entrepreneurial traits and they would be described as being open-minded. Um communicating at every level, talking to the man who's sweeping the park right through to everybody all of the time, just to gain as much information from as many people as possible. And and me being open-minded about everything. I think too many people make judgments before they actually hear everything. You know, we were talking about that before about staff wanting to really radicalize their working hours. Well, let's not say no. Let's say Yes, until we find a reason not to and just changing that paradigm to look at that. I think that's one thing that you need to really do and a huge, huge, huge amount of bravery. Would you agree with that, Emma? Have you needed those sorts of traits on your... Well, again, I I don't think I am an entrepreneur. So, you know, in my mind, someone who's an entrepreneur might open up a, you know, one business, whatever, you know, selling hair products one week and then might open a bar a couple of years later and then might, you know, they, you know, start up a dog walking business two years after that, i.e. someone who just does lots of different things. So I, I wouldn't say I'm an entrepreneur, you know, I'm just a, a, a lawyer who, you know, set up an law firm with somebody else. Um, and I'd, and uh, I'm not sure that maybe feeling like an lawyer and an entrepreneur are like two different ends of the spectrum. They don't seem to gel terribly well together, a bit like the insurance thing, really. So I don't think that is me. Um it just sounds a lot more jazzy being an entrepreneur than being a lawyer, so I'm not sure I fit that mould really. <laughs> and what about for you, Pete? What's what are the traits that have kind of seen you through? Like someone who is quite entrepreneurial. Well, because you've yeah. done you know various different things. You see, this is this is the thing. Because funnily enough, I, 
I thought exactly the same thing as you guys. I mean, so when you try to deconstruct what it means and are you, you, you know, it's in, in what, you know, how do you, do you have an entrepreneurial spirit? Are you entrepreneurial in terms of the way you, you look at life? Are you, you know, so I, I think I would say it's, it's the ability to understand where you want to go and not be afraid to sort of grab it. A little bit and and so therefore i would i would absolutely put you guys in that in that category um i think that for me you know learning because it's a constant journey isn't it? every day is school day as i say and, and and try and understand and learn and move forward i think if i was to to sort of bottle it up and say right okay what does an entrepreneur look like i think it's virtually impossible because i think it looks it, you know it's it's such a broad church in terms of what you could align that to However, if I was to kind of really think about it, it's that thing about what what puts you, why would you do it in the first place? You know, is it because it's easy? Is it because it was the, it was, it was easier to go left than right? And if you tend to go right rather than left because you believe in it strongly enough, then that to me is part of the spirit. You know, if you, you decide you're going to start a, a firm up when you are pregnant and there was a lot of reasons why not to do something, but you do it anyway. That to me is a true entrepreneurial spirit. You know, if, if you can work in partnership, take over a firm and then develop it into something amazing, that to me is an entrepreneurial spirit. So for me, that's the, the, the criticality of it. It's kind of, you know, it, it's, it's such a broad church, but it is that spirit of going right instead of left when it's easier to go left. Feel the fear and do it anyway. Exactly that. Yeah, exactly that. So everyone needs inspiration. You know, at various times you'll have ups and downs of running your own business, whether you call yourself an entrepreneur or not. Um, it's a bit of a roller coaster ride, and I think you'd agree with that. How do you stay inspired and stay energized to keep going with your business? I've tried to take the time out to do, you know, kind of join groups or do courses or whatever it might be. So I um started off um I joined Vistage initially um and uh, they were a really nice team of people hello Harry Marsland if you're listening he was the Vistage lead in my group um and uh, that they were a lovely group of guys um who I I did that with and then um I got an opportunity to go on the Goldman Sachs 10,000 small businesses course and that really drove me in terms of setting up our second office and helped me just take that time out of the business think about things you know kind of move it on to the next phase um, a couple of years after that, just before uh, we set up um, our next office, I did the um, Entrepreneurs Forum Scale Up Leaders Academy. Um, and so I've always found a bit of kind of, you know, either doing some mentoring with somebody or just taking some, you know, time away, kind of some enforced learning has always been a useful thing to do. At the moment, I'm trying to do a bit more reading. And the trouble with that is that there's always something different to do that is involved in actually just running your business. And so you can kind of put that on one side. Whereas I do think if you're doing a course or an academy or whatever it may be, you're absolutely forced into the path. But it also lets you just, you know, set your mind free to think about what the next things might be. Yeah, interesting. And what about you, Karen? Very, very similar. I was a, a Vistage member um, before Harry and um, David Darcy days. And and now I am part of the Lighthouse Business Consultancy, and that's a group of people that meet every six weeks. Um, so we will talk completely different industries. So we've got Tony Cleary from Lanchester Wine, so nothing to do with insurance. But we meet and we just share problems. And generally speaking, the problems come down to the same things, which are usually people. 
people in cash. relationships yeah. and cash. Yeah. And that keeps me sane because you kind of realize that actually whatever was going on in your life, it seems to be resonant across other people's. And sometimes there's a bigger than yours, yours bigger than theirs. And, and that keeps us going. Walking my dog or dogs, sorry. Um, that is the biggest, that's the thing that keeps me sane. Six o'clock every morning, I take the dogs out and that sets me up ready for the day. And they are great listeners. Well, you all three of you have dogs, don't you? Do you find um, peace in taking that time out away from the business to walk the dog and give yourself a bit of space? Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. And they do, they do, they listen really well. A fast funny story the other day, I was in the in Jasmine deal with the dogs, talking to the dogs as I always do. And a, and a man came up to me and he said, genuine story, he said to me, why are you talking to the dogs? And I said, well, he wants to answer them. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, so so my my dog. Oh, well, this will tell you, you know, uh, where I sit in the level of my household. Um, so, oh, I'm feeling the answer is going to be not very high up. <laughs> I mean, absolutely that. So um, we we previously had a dog. We had about 13 years, and, and the kids decided, you know, Joe, we have another dog. Down. I was like, oh, look, I'm not I'm not sure, Dad. And when the PowerPoint presentation starts to come out about the dogs and what we're going to have, they say, right, okay, so we can have a dog. I said, but I've got three rules. So I don't want a boy dog because I'm the only boy in the house. So I'd like a boy dog. I want one that's bigger than my knee so that when I'm walking out, I feel like I'm walking a dog. And the the third thing is um, I don't want one of those furry, fluffy things that everybody's walking around with at the moment. So six months later, Margot the cockapoo arrived. <laughs> Everything it was literally, yeah, and, 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 and honestly, she's the best thing since sliced bread. To be fair, I mean, she's she's brilliant, and she she keeps the house together. You know, it's that thing when the kid, anybody walks through the door, yeah. she's the one that gets the first attention that they have that conversation with. So, um, but it is that that piece about Sue and I will walk together on the morning most mornings and just do that, and then we're ready. Then we're set, um, and we, you know, Sue's got an incredibly stressful job. My job's what my job is, and so, but it's nice just to have that independent, just to almost sort of say, give you head a shake a little bit. You know, it's important, but it's not that important. There's other stuff going on, um, and so yeah, I mean, and, and to to answer the question around the kind of the studying and 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 the what keeps you saying, I, I went back to university after a very very long sabbatical about twenty five years to to look at level some kind of master's thing, and one of the things that I did when when we were doing that became really apparent was experience is good, but to be able to verbalize that in a way that resonates with other people is is quite important. And so I was saying, well, I've got all this experience. I must be able to, to you know, to, to be able to bottle it and do something with it quite positive. And then what you find out is within the universities, there are certain ways of treating. So trying to, in terms of, there's a lot of research going on. There's a lot of things going on. So constantly learning that and then applying that to the level of skill set that you know you've attained over that period of time, I think is really beneficial. Um, so yeah. And are there any business books that you would recommend to people listening? It's something that I've got into this year through the Scale Up Leaders Academy, which MAU does as well. There's a was a very daunting reading list when we started that of 27 books to read, but there's a couple of that that I found really invaluable. The two that I've really liked have been there's a book called Mindset by Carol Dweck, oh, yes. which I I found. Super interesting. Karen is nodding. She may have read that one. I like um, <laughs> Simon Sinek's Start With yeah. Why. Yeah. Is there any that you've read? I'm reading at the moment one by Stephen Covey called The Speed of Trust, which mm -hmm. was recommended to me. And that I've, I've 
really, really enjoying that. And and actually how it, you know, it forms such a fundamental building block, both in terms of making sure that your people trust you, but also you um being able to enunciate to them what you need from them in order that you can trust them to to do their job and what and what you can, you know, do about that when when trust is lacking, you know. And these things are not I think the the biggest thing that I've had to learn, which I find enormously frustrating, is that and I you know, it's an awful phrase, but these things are journeys rather than destinations. And what I'm actually just striving for is to create the perfect thing, the perfect law firm, and then go, see it all works now. And then just, you know, well, I'm not saying walk away, but you know, go, this is this is it now. It's done. And of course it isn't ever done. And I'm, it's taken me a really long time to realize that, which I probably should have worked out earlier. But but actually, you know, when trust can break down or trust can be a bit diminished or things can be a bit hard going, but that doesn't mean it's all over. It means that you just, you reframe things and you try again and you tweak what you're doing and that you problem solve. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I think there's, there's a couple of, there's the gym paradox, which I think is a really strong book. Um, in terms of exactly that, you know, so so recognizing some people's initial reaction may just be a, a, a guttural instinct. But I really don't like this, and they're either going to clam up, they're going to fight back, or they're just going to mm-hmm. get completely passive about the whole thing. That sort of fear, fear, flight, or fight piece, which I think, in terms of understanding how people react, is really quite insightful. And that book itself, I mean, there's a lot of kind of um, Olympians, etc., that, that have, have gone through the process with him. And, and he's also from Woodsboro, which is nice. Um, it's Steve Peters. Steve Peters, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. You're about. He's, he's really good. So I've, I've got the book, but I've also listened to the audio book on it, and it, it's incredible. It's it's it, it's very insightful, and it's very kind of when you apply it and you're speaking to other people, you can immediately see whether this is, you know, the way he describes it is whether it's the chimp jumping up and down screaming, or whether it's the computer looking back at experience and terms of it. Actually, I'm comfortable with this, and I can talk about this with an element of confidence. Um, so that's really interesting. And the, the other one that I really like is the uh, the Blue Ocean Shift. So that is around essentially businesses operate in two areas. One is the Red Ocean and the other one is the Blue Ocean. The Red Ocean is full of sharks and it's full of people trying to essentially take each other's business off each other, if you like, and, and that allows to the Red Ocean. So it, the Blue Ocean is essentially what makes you you as a business and allows you to develop and grow from that business because it's based around the values that you hold uh, and based about the strength that you have, which again, when you talk about retention and the fact that people understand where you are as a business, people are going to work out, yes, I like working with you, I know I don't, but the core value of what you do doesn't really change. I think a good business book is a one that I've read more than twice. So my third outing at the moment is Daniel Pink's Drive, Simon Sinek. Um, internet game I think you would oh I've listened to that I loved that yeah completely changed the way I thought about my business that is is really good but not necessarily business but the best reading book of the last two years for me had to be changed my life Matthew Walker's um, Why We Sleep definitely one to read definitely one to read what did you get out of that? it's just it's mind-blowing how we could raise the global GB GDP, if we all got an average of an extra hour's sleep a night, we've done a whole wellbeing piece of what we're spending this year kind of trying to work on mental wellbeing, which I think is a slightly different uh, kind of twist on mental health. I think mm-hmm. I think we need to be really careful about the use of the phrase mental health because, because it's, it's mental quite health, health or mental well health. Yes, yeah, exactly. That's, so, so we've been focusing on resilience, but one of the sessions that we've done is with a, um, a doctor, I give a shout out to him because he's amazing, Dr. David Lee. He's based in the northeast. He's a he's a sleep 
psychologist, he'll probably tell me he's got a much better, more accurate phrase than that. But he's come in and done some brilliant work with our people in explaining exactly that, you know, why you sleep and how important sleep is. And, you know, and then he's done a session for the ladies of a certain age about menopause and sleep as well. Um, and it's, it's yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? Yeah, it's a really, really interesting book. And it's worth noting that it, the question is never answered. We still don't know why we sleep. Scientists still do not know why we sleep, but the benefits of sleep um, are explained in the book. You must read it. It's an absolute must. I've written down Matthew Walk. We've written that down as we've been talking. I could do something similar on benefits of wine. <laughs> why we drink? Yeah. Why we sleep? Yeah, we know the answer to that. That sounds really interesting, Karen. I'm definitely going to look that one up. Um, well, we're moving towards the end of the podcast now. I know time flies. So um, I've got a question for each of you, which I did warn you of in advance. Now, you're all looking completely blankly <laughs> at me. Um, but the question is, if we're going to forward wind the clock now to your 70th birthday party. So imagine you're at your 70th birthday party. Karen, you've just woken up from a nap because you've had your extra sleep. Um, all your friends and family are there. And um, one of your best friends is giving a sort of like a little bit of a speech about your life to say happy birthday. What is going to be the content of that talk? I think it's probably going to be similar to my avatar and business card now. I don't think there'll be much change. So it'll say something like happy 70th. I don't know where she gets her energy from. I hope that's exactly what it says. And cheers to Wonder Woman. Yes. Pete? Um, just use all right. Yeah, you, you know, like if 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 people, if it comes to my seventieth, and my kids say he did right by us, he did okay. My wife says he was he, he was decent husband, and my mates say he always had our back. It's kind of it, really. That's all. Like yeah, you, you you know, that's that's kind of one on one. The rest of the stuff, you know, there's always saying about money will come, and I've always believed that. You know, if you do everything right. Profits, everything else happens. That it's it's not a, it's not a coincidence that the most successful businesses are the people with the right value streams and and they have people that that buy into them. So therefore, the default is if everybody thought he was all right, good good block, and you know that that to me is done. I'm 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 happy enough with that. Oh, I did hope that you wouldn't actually really come to this question. I have to say. When you first said you were going to ask it, I thought, oh my goodness, I thought you were going to want some lots of funny stories about me and there probably aren't that very many. I'm a bit of a boring lawyer. But I think I've, I, I try to live my life doing the right thing. That's that's important to me. And and so, you know, I, I would hope that people would reflect back. And I don't I don't mean that I've always been right, although my husband will tell you that I am always right, obviously. Um, <laughs> but that I've, you know, that, that I, I try to do the right thing by the people who work in the business with me. By the community that we try and support, you know, but by our by our clients, and and hopefully that happens more times than it doesn't. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for your time. We really appreciated your conversations and your candidness this morning. So thank you very much, and thank you for having us. Yeah. Thank, you. thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. Tune in next time for another exciting cast of entrepreneurs.